Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey Jody, how you doing today? Hello Paul, how are you? I'm doing well, fantastic. Uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about getting your taxes done, and I'm happy to say mine are all done. I am getting a refund, as I thought. Um, interesting note that uh, went through probably two hours of digging into taxes and, and putting in all the different elements and bits of data, and, and the uh, computer program spit back to me, hey, you, you're better off taking the standard deduction. So I was like, <laughs> I'm beginning to think that maybe uh, maybe uh, my tax preparation is going to become a lot easier over time. But I did everything that I said in the podcast. I I uh, wound up, uh, had all my paperwork organized, did it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday with my uncle, two sets of eyes on the data, and uh, went well. How, how are you doing, Jody? You pulled that tax folder out, huh? The tax folder is empty for this year? Yeah, well... <laughs> What actually happens is the tax folder gets much thicker because then I get a printout of the return and I stick it in the filing cabinet. So there you go. He has all the electronic copies, but I always like to have a physical copy just in case. So I have a big stack of physical returns over the years and same methodology, rinse and repeat every year. So how, yeah, how, we, yeah, we sat ahead. down with it. We sat down with the accountant this year, this week as well. Uh, we're getting a little bit of refund from one, owe a, owe a little bit on the other. It all washes out, but it washes out in our favor, which is always where I want to come out. Uh, and and so we're in good shape for this year. So um, may take a look at the W-2 for next year because I think we got a little bit larger of a refund for a very specific reason that will not repeat next year. So want to make sure that we just have everything ironed out so we're not on the flip side of this equation this time next year. Yep, and this just goes to show that we we have differing opinions on this, which is good, and there's no right or wrong I think it just whatever's comfortable for comfortable for you. I continue to max out single zero uh, because I don't want to take any chances, and I don't mind getting a bigger refund at the end of the year. Although it's the, it's not it's it's the bigger number is disappearing fast. Um, like I said in previous podcasts, the the, the number is not as big as it used to be, but that's okay. It is what it is. But uh, and and you like to adjust yours down to and throttle it to be, you know, almost even, which is, which is another great and probably the proper way to, to, to do it. Um, but both work. So I think that's good. So, um, this podcast, uh, is number 39 for us. So we're getting close to that 40 mark. We keep having little milestones here, but thank you for all of you, all of you out there that are listening. Um, today's topic is question is questionable financial moves, financial products. You must really think about before doing and this is interesting because they're not necessarily – some are bad products, but some are products that might not be suited if you, uh, for you if you don't know what you're doing. And, and so we're going to go into those topics a bit uh, once we uh, start digging in. But, uh, but first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Okay, the first news story is from Forbes. Um, it's five personal finance tips for small business owners. And what caught my eye on this story was a lot of the tips that they had for small business owners relate directly to personal finance. Uh, build an emergency fund, manage your personal credit, save for retirement, uh, invest appropriately for your risk tolerance, and seek professional help. All of these things we've talked about when it came to personal finance. And now, Jody, as you as, as a personal uh, small business owner, what are your thoughts on this story? 
I thought this was a great story. And uh, the reason that we that I like this story uh, is stated right up at the top. It says that a surprising percentage of business owners who may be some of the hardest working people on earth tend to get lazy or sloppy with their own personal finances. And so that's where this article gets into. And uh, these are all great tips. Quick and easy read. Uh, it all makes sense. This is this is great advice. A lot of this stuff we talk about on the on the podcast as well, uh, and we urge people to practice. So yeah, give this one a look. Oh, very cool, very cool. Um, the second story um, is from USA Today: Hidden Accounts, Secret Debts, and Quiet Overspending. Why are we are hiding our personal finances from loved ones? This is an interesting article. Um, looking at it, it has a lot of uh, stats in here. I guess for me, um, I don't have any financial secrets. Everything is pretty wide open when it comes to the finances. I encourage my wife to look at the numbers, look at the joint accounts. Everything is documented thoroughly. What was your thought on this uh, article, Jody? Yeah, some interesting statistics here. It says about 44% of U.S. adults admit to hiding a bank account or a debt or to spending more money than their partner would be comfortable with. And this is a story from, hey, guess what? Creditcards.com. Uh, so let's put it, let's put aside the fact that this study was done by a credit card company or at least a company that's, uh, whose interest is, is pushing credit cards, which we don't like to do uh, in, in terms of, in terms of carrying debt. Paul, I know that your household uses credit cards, but um, uses it to manage the household and pays it off on a regular basis, so kind of treats it like cash. Um, you know, th this gets down to personal relationships, and I think we've said this before: money is the root of so much, um, so much angst and so much disagreement in our personal lives. Um, uh, hiding hiding accounts from the person you're married to, I think, is a bad idea. Uh, and we're not talking about you know hiding a purchase for her birthday. You know, mm -hmm. and then and then letting it out of the bag after you give her the gift. I've done that. You know, I just recently, you know, Valentine's Day. You know, there was a, I, I bought something on the credit card because only I see that particular statement on my on my app, and so I knew she wouldn't be able to see where I bought the thing from. But she saw the charge pop up, and she goes, "What's that charge?" I'm like, "I'm not telling you." She knew what it was, and that was an answer enough that she knew what it was to not bother me about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, paid it off with cash as soon as it came in. Um, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about either making purchases, running up debt, or maintaining accounts secretly and on the side, um, which I just think is a, is a destructive and eroding thing in, in any relationship, whether it's a, a marriage relationship, a business relationship, even a, you know, a personal friendship relationship. Um, when you hide things from other people, um, it, it does nothing but bad to that relationship. So, um, this was, this was a little bit of a disturbing article for me. Um, I can understand where, you know, people may think they need to do this stuff, but you got to get past it. You really got to work around, um, feeling like you need to hide things from people just to have some independence or just to do your own thing. Um, you know, because most times and, I, and I'll go back to, you know, my relationship with my wife, most times, a lot of times I want to buy something. I'll say, hey, I want to buy this thing. And she'll look at me like, you know, with the side eye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, fine. I don't really need it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a nice little gut check, you know, so keeps me from getting out of hand. And, and I think that that kind of communication is just really important. Yeah. And I think financial infidelity is probably a sign of something bigger. 
um, if you're at the point where you have separate accounts, um, I guess, and there's probably degrees of this, like you said, you know, if you're buying a gift for your wife and it's, you know, that's, you know, it's something they didn't know about that's different. Um, but when it comes to having separate bank accounts and, and, and it's like a separate life, right? And separate credit cards that you're paying. Um, and I've, I've heard of different stories around this and sometimes it's, 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 it's not, uh, it's not intended to be um, secretive in terms of they're tr- or it's not done for a reason that they're trying to spend money on something on themselves and maybe it's they're trying to pay bills and and they're not paying the bills and the money's not coming in on time so the spouse who has complete control over the finances is trying to make it up somehow um, but either way right whether it's uh, for good or bad reasons intentional unintentional whatever you want to call it um, keep the numbers transparent have those deep conversations with your spouse and, and, and keep everything on the up and up and you'll, you'll live a happy life. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, a good example is that I, you know, every week we take, we put some money in the budget to just put cash in my wife's wallet for whatever she wants to do with it. Right. That gives her a degree of financial independence without having to ask me, you know, Hey, I'm going to spend money on a cup of coffee. Like I would never want her to ask me if I, she could spend money on a cup of coffee. Right. But I also don't want her, you know, swiping the card a whole lot. And I don't want to swipe the card either. You know, this goes both ways. Um, so a little cash in the wallet gives her that financial independence. She can do whatever she feels like doing with it. And, and you know, we don't have to check in for those little minor purchases. Um, and that's really important, but that's not what this article is talking about. This is talking about, you know, hiding things from your partner, and that's not good. Yeah, not good at all. Not good at all. So I guess on that note, we'll we'll go to the weekly topic, financial products you must really think about before doing. Um, so my current situation when it comes to this, I'm reminded of a, a conversation I've had several times with my grandmother. Um, she owns a small co-op, and, and several times she's asked me about reverse mortgages, Um those of you that are not familiar with reverse mortgage, they're, they're a product that allows uh, retirees to pull money out of their home and has, uh, so they could still live in the home, but they could drain the equity out of their home through cash and, and live on that money. And then when at the end of the, um, you know, at the end of their life, uh, the mortgage company would uh, want that money back and through the sale of the property, they would get their money back. Sounds great. Uh, the problem is um, when you dig under the covers, reverse mortgages are a really bad product financially, uh, loaded with fees, loaded with commissions, people that are selling them. So if your house is worth $100,000, maybe they'll let you have you know, 20000 30000 out of it, but you're going to pay almost that in fees. It's really riddled with a lot of bad uh, fees and, and interactions in them. So I've always told her, you know, you can't, you don't, well, first of all, she's in a co-op and you can only qualify for a reverse mortgage if you're in a uh, house, I believe, or maybe a condo, but a co-op, you're not allowed to, uh, they won't, they won't give you a reverse mortgage, thank God, on a co-op, right? So there are some, some, some legal restrictions where they won't give it to you, but it is very interesting uh, that there's a lot of convincing commercials out there. And, and like I said, I've had this conversation more than once and it's, it's very interesting. The other story I'm reminded of is, uh, this was way back, I think I was in college, and we had a friend, we don't, not a mutual friend of ours, but I had a friend that had, was selling water filters, and uh, I went, he had me come to a, to a seminar, and I went with him, and of course, 
you know, back then, even then, I realized mm, there's something shady here. Uh, but it turned out it was a pyramid scheme, right? It's one of those things where you're really not selling the, the water filters themselves. You're getting people, and it's multi, multi-level marketing. Uh, or really, it was like a pyramid scheme where, I, you know, the, the buy-in was I had to buy like 10 filters in order to buy in. And then he's probably making off those money off those filters. And then, you know, I think he's probably still has those filters in his basement somewhere. I don't think he sold one of them. Uh, but it was it was very interesting. And then my third situation is around individual stocks, which isn't a scam. Uh, it's just a product you have to be really careful with. Um, I had a portfolio of stocks. I think I bought a dozen different stocks, held them for five years. And when I liquidated the portfolio, uh, finally, um, I was definitely down. <laughs> the money was was not there. I did not make any money off my individual stock picks. Um, so uh, that was interesting, which actually reminds me of a fourth story. I was buying penny stocks, uh, stocks that were uh, under like $4 a share, $3 a share, $2 a share. I bought this stock for like 70 cents. Um, and it was for Lomans. Are you familiar with Lomans? They were big here on the East Coast. I think they're still alive in some way, shape, or form. Jody. Yeah, sure. You bet. You bet. And uh, I bought the stock, bought 800 bucks, uh, told a coworker he bought 800 bucks. And it all signs pointed to that, you know, it would be okay. And well, they did a restructuring and they got back into business. But unfortunately, during the restructuring, they zeroed out everyone's stock, which I didn't even think they were able to do. But they did. Uh, so my, my stock went to worthless. Um, and they, they thrived as a good company afterwards, which I didn't take advantage of. And so that's always the running joke. Uh, whenever I see my buddy, he'll say, Lomans. <laughs> we know what that meant. So it was kind of funny. So, so Jody, what's your current situation when it comes to these types of products that you either have to think about or they're more of a scam? What is your uh, take on this? Yeah, I've never been involved in any of these products, uh, reverse mortgages. Uh, obviously, I bought some some stock over the years. I don't own any stock currently. Uh, you know, we do have some mutual funds and things like that. Uh, I, I'm not that much of a player when it comes to um, to investments. You know, I'm pretty plain vanilla. But let's go back to through a couple of these that you mentioned, Paul. The the reverse mortgage, which I think is the um, one of the most insidious products that have ever been put out. Um, you know, it's wrapped up in this, this ribbon and bow about how you can borrow against your house to pay for your costs of retirement or, you know, medical needs as you get older, things like that. That's all well and good. But, uh, just, just doing a Google search real quick, you come up with an article and there's a news article, not a sponsored article from the Washington post. It's a finance column. Uh, talking about that very thing, reverse mortgages, and it runs down some of the pros, cons. And one of the cons that they talk about down here is, uh, as you get further down in the article, uh, one, one, making sure that you understand the rules, the very involved rules of a reverse mortgage and how it works. Um, number two, make sure that you can maintain the property. Um, and, and it says here, a, a 2017 report um, showed that nearly, I'm sorry, 2012 report showing that nearly 10% of people in the federally insured home, um, uh, home equity mortgage program, the, the reverse mortgage program were at risk of foreclosure. And think about that 10% of people who took out a reverse mortgage, um, did it so poorly or didn't understand it or made the mistake, uh, that put their home in jeopardy. And I think that's the real question you need to ask when you take out a reverse mortgage. Are you okay with giving your house back to the bank? 
That's mm-hmm. really that's really the question you have to ask. And if if that gut check says no, don't do it. It's that simple. Um, you know, there there may be all kinds of good reasons to do a reverse mortgage, um, but but I think it's just I think it's a disaster waiting to happen for most people. Um, other scams you talk about stock market. You know, I I I have a general um, affinity for the stock market in that I think we can it give it gives most people the ability to invest their money uh, in in com- in companies that should give them a good rate of return on their money. Um, I, I don't like the the modern veneer that that has been put on the stock market, you know, with all news cable channels that, you know, uh, talk about the stock market like it's a baseball score. I think that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty bumbling. Um, and, and I just I don't I don't like the sport. I think that the that the stock market has become um, and has been for a long time, you know, for more than half my lifetime. Um but you talk about scams and investment scams, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all this stuff um, where you see, you know, people are getting 1400 percent returns on cryptocurrency. I mean, again, I'm not involved in cryptocurrency uh, and I haven't researched it extensively. But on the surface, it sounds to me like it's one step away from the Nigerian Prince email scam. <laughs> um, and I just wouldn't go there. Uh, and again, Google uh, you know, Google News, um, cryptocurrency scam allegedly swindles doctors out of $33 million. Um, you know, you're talking about high rates of investment here with this stuff. You're talking about um, supposed high rates of return, um, which I've got to believe also comes with high rates of risk. And that's before you even get into um, the intentional scammers. So I would I would be very, very careful with those kinds of things. Um, and speaking of scams, I don't know if you saw the, the news this week. Um, here from People Magazine, uh, Shark Tank's Barbara Corcoran loses almost $400,000 in phishing scam. Uh, wow. You know, even, even the most allegedly smart of us uh, among us uh, can fall for these scams. Apparently this was, without getting into the details, this was uh, you know, a, an email scam where someone posing as an assistant of hers sent an email to another assistant of hers and the people had the authority to wire money back and forth among accounts and bang, there goes $388,000. Amazing. Um, so, you know, everybody's susceptible to this and even more so in the age of internet and the age of e- email. And we've talked about email scams in the past. Um, you really got to be careful, um, when you get into any of these products, whether it's a legit, seemingly legit product, uh, or whether it's some that seems something that seems a little sketchy, got to do your homework, got to be careful. And you know what? We'll go back. I'll default to my old rule. If you don't understand it, don't get involved in it. Well, that makes a ton of sense. And, and you were talking about a few things there, there. I forgot about cryptocurrency. That was an interesting one. And my son wanted to uh, ask me about mining bitcoins and mining uh, erythium and some of these other new. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean, mining bitcoin? Yeah, what does it's that a, even mean? It's an interest. Well, I would have done it just to kind of show the mechanics of how to do it. Um, I had friends that that have done it. Um, it it's a very the problem is, and I did a little research on it, um, if you're going to sit there and try to mine Bitcoin with your own PC, like in your house, you'll you'll be there for 50 years. Um, the only mining we do is on Xbox. Right, right, exactly. So, <laughs> so you know, the, the short answer is you need a lot of a lot of firepower, a lot of CPU, a lot of memory, a lot of electricity 
in order to properly mine. And I, I, you, I, we could sit here and go through probably several podcasts on how Bitcoin works. My rudimentary understanding of it is um, the, the people that are trying to mine this stuff, there's consortiums where they have, you know, 100,000 CPUs, right, uh, running uh, endlessly. In, in, in their, in, and sometimes the, the cost of just keeping the electric going to, to make sure that you have enough uh, firepower and CPU in order to mine those bitcoins um, will take you you know will cost more than the bitcoins worth itself right or it's starting to sound like a grow house operation it's very interesting yeah there are oh there, there are places in the Midwest where they have built massive data centers just for Bitcoin mining right uh, for any type of Bitcoin and so that's probably something for another podcast but just trust me on it um, it you're not going to make money with a couple of PCs at home trying to mine Bitcoin. But I thought that the process of trying to do it would be interesting. But the boys quickly figured out um, that it was something they didn't want to do. And they're, and they're, you know, they were 14 at the time and they realized it was unattainable, right? So I'm glad my son has got some smarts in him and uh, he, he realized quickly that, um, you know, it's not, it's not a quick, uh, get rich quick scheme by any means. And that's probably one of the key words, right? Get rich quick, right? That's what all these things are are, are probably around. Um, I know that we talked about reverse mortgage. One thing to add, they prey on the elderly. Oh, yeah. And and my grandmother was asking me about reverse mortgages uh, in her 80s, right? And she's in her 90s now. But it's just amazing how they advertise the heck out of it on daytime TV. And, and it's all over the place. And I'm sure every day... Uh, Thousands of people are getting taken for their homes, and it's just sad. But that is is just something uh, that you know. If you have loved ones, make sure if they're asking you about these things, do what you can to keep them away from these from that type of product. Um, individual stocks, our financial superhero, does well in that space. I don't know how well, but I know he does okay with uh, individual stocks. Um, I've never had good luck with them. Seems like as soon as I buy it, it goes down. As soon as I sell it, it goes up. Um, there, there's no in between for me, so I try to stay away. But it's not necessarily a bad product. You just have to know what you're getting into. I have uh, a friend of mine that went to one of those uh, stock picking courses, and he's and he wants to take a shot at, at at making money in the stock market. And I told him, you know, if you're gonna go that route, you have to learn as much as you can, play with money you could afford to lose in Vegas. So, you know, if you can afford to, you know, lose $2,000, make that your max, put that into an account. But even before you do that, there's abilities now where you could set up mock portfolios where you could test your stock picks before buying the stocks. So you can mock up, you know, buying a bunch of stock and putting it into a fake portfolio and it'll follow the market and, and give you everything back to you except for the profits. But it'll show you the virtual profits you would have had on the money. But just do as you can, do as much as you can to be prepared to jump into that single stock uh, uh, piece. Um, I guess one of the other things we'll jump into some of the other topics that we haven't touched upon. Whole life insurance. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. Um, I wouldn't call it a scam. I wouldn't. I would call it a bad financial product. Uh, we've talked about it in the past. And you know, if you're going to buy life insurance, buy term life. Any thoughts on reiterating the the whole life? insurance uh findings that we that we found jody yeah i think you're on the money there paul and and you know i i define scam as when you get taken for something you didn't expect to pay so if i walk into a store and i expect to pay x um for something and i choose to pay x plus a hundred for something that's not a scam 
I'm voluntarily choosing to pay that and, and I can choose to walk away if I want to. The scam part is when you sign up for something, you agree to pay X and then the bill comes due and you have to pay X times a thousand and there's no way to back out of it. That's a scam. To me, that's a scam. Um, you know, where you get, you get taken for a ride and, and you don't get what you signed up for. Um, yeah, I would, I would just stay away from whole life insurance. It's, it's sold as an investment in your future. It's not an investment. Insurance should not be an investment. It should be protection for you and your family. Uh, and you should use it for as long as you need it. And the whole idea behind life insurance specifically is that you should only have it until you don't need it anymore. Um, until your, your personal net worth exceeds what the life insurance should pay out. Uh, and then you can afford to get rid of the life insurance. Yep, makes total sense. And for those of you who have not heard our whole life versus term life podcast, please give it a listen. You can look back on any of the uh, sites where we post our podcast, Apple, Google. You'll find the life insurance episode. It'll go into full detail of what our thoughts are. Uh, and, and I think I said it best in that by term, by term, by term, right? That's what you want in terms of life insurance. Um, another interesting financial product uh, that I came close to buying on my honeymoon, very close, um, timeshares. Very interesting product. Um, there are, we have talked about this and touched upon it in the past. You have to be extremely careful with timeshares. Um, there's actually big businesses out there that, um, and I'm not promoting them, but I, one that comes to mind that I've heard of is Timeshare Exit Team. And they actually will help you get out of your timeshare. It's actually become a business on how to get out of a timeshare, So, um, which I thought was interesting. But some timeshares, um, people love them and, and, they, and, and they enjoy them. Um, I know in the past we've talked about this, the Disney Vacation Club. Um, if you're going to buy a timeshare, it's probably the best one to buy. Just go in with your eyes wide open. Uh, number one. Uh, when you buy the timeshare, you're probably going to buy it on credit and you're going to have to pay a mortgage. So you're going to have a mortgage there. That timeshare analogy, the uh, the exit strategy company that you mentioned, Paul, mm -hmm. that reminds me of an old Stephen Wright joke. If you remember the comedian Stephen Wright, yes, he's a total course. deadpan guy, right? And he used to have a joke. Uh, he would just deliver these sort of non sequitur one-liners. And he had a joke he used to tell. He's, he would say um, – I bought a humidifier and a dehumidifier. I put them in the same room and let them fight it out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like when there's a build, where there's an industry or a company built on negating the effect of the original company, you know that there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's great observation there, and you put it you put it best. Great observation. Um, I know that I I've, I've come close to buying a timeshare in St. John. Uh, I believe it was Marriott or Weston. Um, and it really, it really looks enticing. They pull you in, and if you're on site on vacation, they will uh, give you a free tour. They might buy you free dinner. They might give you resort credit. We go every year to Smuggler's Notch up in Vermont, and they have a big, big timeshare push every year. I get the whole thing where, hey, you come to our place for an hour, we give you a $200 credit, and take this much off your trip. And I always say, no, thank you. I don't want the risk. I don't want the temptation. But I think that in the right circumstance, very few circumstances, it pays to get a timeshare. Uh, in most circumstances and in most products for timeshares, I would stay away. Uh, like I said, my my individual hot pick is if you're gonna have if you're gonna buy a timeshare, buy the Disney Vacation Club with the point system. They seem to hold their value. People who have them love them. 
especially if you're a Disney fanatic. Um, it'll be great. Every other timeshare story I've heard, not a good story. Not a good story. You can't even give these things away. If you go to eBay and you'll see timeshares on there for a penny. Because once you buy that timeshare for a penny, you're in for a pound. You're in for the yearly rates. And I guess that's what we should touch upon is you're in for the expense of the timeshare ongoing. So even if you're buying the mate, if you buy the timeshare and you have your mortgage on top of the mortgage, you're going to have your maintenance for the timeshare. You're going to have assessments for the timeshare. They can raise your, your, your timeshare fees every year, year over year without any regulation. It's really scary what they could do. So just be careful when it goes to timeshares. Um, the next product we're going to talk about is annuities. This is an interesting one. I mean, all most pension funds run on this annuity type structure, right? So if you work for the federal government or, you know, you, you put your money in and, and, and the government's put money in on your behalf and you at the end you're getting a fixed payment every month for the rest of your life. Uh, so it sounds really cool. Um, the, the problem is there's companies out there selling individual annuities, right? So you could take all your money, for example, out of your 401k when you retire and, and cash it all in and put it into an annuity and they'll give you a fixed uh, amount every month for the rest of your life. Um, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of problems there, right? So yes, in, on the surface, you're getting security. But in reality, if you look at the commission schedules when it comes to annuities, just ask the broker that's selling it to you Ask them a simple question. What, how much are you making commission-wise off this product? Chances are they're not going to tell you or they're going to tap dance around it. They're not going to come out clearly and tell you what they're making on it because you'd be shocked at what they make. It's one of the most expensive products for you because the commissions are so high for the broker selling it to you. So that alone should tell you and be a red flag. Um, beyond that, it's, it's at a fixed percentage, which may be lower than you could get in the stock market now. Once again, for certain people, well-researched annuities could be good. For the majority of you out there, probably not. But if you're going to jump into annuities, go in with eyes wide open, do your research, understand the product. Jody, what's your take when it comes to annuities? Yeah, I don't have any firsthand experience with annuities. I'm just Googling here an article, uh, come up with a piece it says estate planning headline uh, headline is estate planning annuities can cause estate complications. If my annuity is already in a trust, do I need to address the beneficiary designation? Now that's a whole lot of big words. We talked about estates and wills last podcast, um, but here's just a good example of you know thrown thrown in a Google search real quick and coming back with this extraordinarily complicated answer to a question. Um, and I'm not even going to vouch for the for the authority of this article, but to say that I put in the word annuities and this is the first thing that comes up. Um, this is a complicated scenario. Uh, so so make sure that you know what you're doing, like you said, Paul, before you get into annuities could be good, uh, but will definitely be bad if you don't understand it. Yep, absolutely. And I think there's probably a lot of other products out there we haven't touched upon. Um, but at this point, I think the same rules apply for good financial products or bad financial products or everything in between, right? And that's doing your research, making sure you know and understand what you're getting into, doing your Google searching, doing your um, your investigation work, asking friends and family. Um, those are all things that you have to be um, aware of. And that's probably one last topic to kind of touch upon is you may have people in your family or you may have friends that are close to you that may want to sell you 
these types of products, whether it's uh, multi-level marketing that they got hooked into, or it might be uh, your new brother-in-law that is now a stockbroker and wants business, uh, might be another relative that's selling life insurance. Um, my rule of thumb, and, and I've done this, um, I, I can't say I've done this, but I think my rule of thumb would be, oh no, I, I think I say I could do this because I've had some friends that sell. Um, and I always had the excuse of working for a big bank. So my 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 excuse was always um, my bank you know, where I work, I work for a big bank. It doesn't allow me to use any other uh, serve products or services outside of the bank, which is mostly true. It's hard to buy individual stocks. They encourage you to use their services. So I would have all my accounts where wherever I was working. But nowadays, if, if you have a relative uh, that comes to you or, or a friend that wants to sell you one of these products, just politely decline. Uh, try to not give too much of a reason. Just politely decline and, and, and kind of walk away. And, and hopefully the relationship stays intact. Um, any thoughts on that, Jody? I probably didn't say it the way I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking it, but we have to let down the friend or family member carefully. And, and maybe you could give a better uh, reasoning or, or a better excuse than I get, just gave. Well, that I mean, that's a perfectly valid uh, way to explain it, Paul. I take a different tactic. I, I tell people that I never do business with friends and family um, because I don't want a bad business deal to affect a relationship. It's the same reason why I don't loan friends or family money. If somebody needs money and I have the ability to, to help them out, I will simply give them that money. And if they want to give it back to me someday, that's great. I will gladly accept it. Um, but it's a gift. I'm not going to let money get in the way of relationships. And so I simply tell people that I do not do business with friends or family who I love. Yeah. And that makes, I, I think you said it succinctly and perfectly. That's, those were the words I was looking for. So I'm going to have to jot those down or maybe I'll just play this part of the podcast. Yeah. I, just clip, just clip I'll it clip and keep it. it on your phone. And That's send it. This. My, I, you know, my, my co my podcast co-host says this. <laughs> he says I shouldn't do business with you and here's why. Um, so, <laughs> well with that, I think we'll jump into the summary recap. I think for me, the two words that jump out are buyer beware we've talked about this throughout this podcast is really be if something feels not right make sure you're doing your research make sure you jump in to 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 do that research make sure you understand what you're buying so be be aware of what you're buying and and not go in blind jody what's your thoughts as we wrap up this podcast yeah, fully agreed. I keep my financial life pretty plain vanilla. Uh, you know, I have my budget spreadsheet. I have my meager little investments. I understand them completely. I'm a buy and hold kind of guy. I'm a long-term kind of guy. I keep it as simple as possible. I think if you're looking to get into a new venture, a new product, a new investment, you want to do something, um, it, you know, definitely gut check it, obviously. If it doesn't feel right to you, don't do it. Um, but another good way maybe to figure out whether or not this is a good decision to make is um, describe it to your wife, describe it to your kids, describe it to somebody who you love and respect. And if they don't get it after your explanation, you don't understand it well enough. So walk away. Well put. Well put. Well, Jody, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well and thank you. Thank you.